Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. We are going to continue in our series called Witness Stories of the First Followers of Jesus, where we're looking to hear stories from those first people that became followers of Jesus who were called to be his witnesses in their world and around the world. And um, I have next to me one of those witnesses named Kent. Good morning. You know him from worship leading. He does, you don't hear him talking that much. You usually hear him singing. When that's pretty nice. He's got a great voice. In any case, he's also a painting contractor, the, probably the best in the state of California, as far as I can tell. He always paints my house when it's needed, by the way, free advertisement. <laughs> he's really seriously probably booked for the next nine months or something. He's so good. He told me a holy hello story. You remember holy hello stories? And I said, would you tell the church that they'd love to hear it? So here's Kent with the holy hello story. So this is not like the classic holy hello story where you walk up to a stranger and say hello and see what God does from there. But I'll give this a little context. Uh, This is a client that I've had for about 10 or 12 years, and uh, I've done a lot of painting work for her and her husband. They're in their mid-70s, and um, while our relationship has always been very cordial and pleasant, it's never gone past that. I wouldn't exactly say we were friends outside of the business relationship we had. So um, I was, and I do a lot of work in the neighborhood. So I see her at least, she walks her dog and stuff. I see her when I'm not working for her. I see her at least every month and a half when I'm working down the street. And so last summer I was working uh, down the street from her and she was walking her dog. We exchanged hellos and then she walked across the street and I said, well, how are you doing? And she goes, you know, I've had some form of uh, pneumonia, the doctor thinks, and I've struggled with it for three months. Mm. And last summer she had it. I saw her last September. And uh, she goes, it's really quite serious. She's always been a slight-built woman. She was like 105 pounds. She was down to 85 pounds when I saw her. And uh, while she was trying to put a happy face on it, I could see in her eyes she was really scared. And uh, they, they had put her on all kinds of antibiotics anyways. It wasn't working, and I'd never discussed my faith with her before in all these 12 years, and I just, that's, I had to cross the chicken line. There's two, there's two chicken line crossings in this story. So, so I figured, well, she's telling, you know, this must be a God thing, and this is why she's telling me this. So I, I said, uh, you know, I, I, I meet with a group of people, and we study the Bible, and we also pray for people. And uh, would you mind if, we, if I shared your situation with them, and, and we and we prayed for you. And she goes, oh, that would be fine. Yeah, that would be fine. So then I, a couple, we started praying for her regularly. I mean, really, not just, yeah, hey, I will pray for you, but like this group of people, and many of them are in this room right now, we started to really pray for this lady. And about three weeks later, uh, she, I saw her again, and she said, you know what? Two days after I met you, I started to feel better. Come and on. she goes, it's the first time I felt better in three and a half months. And, and so we kind of kept in touch through the fall, and she sent me a couple of emails and said, you know, I'm still getting better. I'm still getting better. And by Christmas, she sent me an email wishing me Merry Christmas and telling, thanking, telling me to thank the group and that she had really felt a lot better and she was back to doing her normal stuff again routine. So that was all great. 
So then uh, the last week of April this year, I had to bid a job across the street from her house. And uh, I, as I finished the bid, I was out standing out by my truck and I was running some numbers in my head. And she walked up behind me and we said hi. And I said, how are you doing? And she goes, terrible. She goes, it all came back. I'm very sick. She goes, uh, they don't know what's wrong. They've got me on a lot of stuff. None of it's working. Uh, she goes, just two nights ago, my fever was so high, my husband thought I was going to die. And she goes, I thought I might too. And I could just see the fear was all over her and stuff. And so I, I said, well, we will. She goes, I came across to ask you to ask the group to start praying for me again. I said, wow. Yeah, absolutely. Turns out her history, she's a lapsed Catholic, she told me, and like long time lapsed. So... After we separated that day, I got home, and the Lord just started to speak to me that I was supposed to send her an email and tell her to encourage her to reconnect with the Lord. So I did, and he gave me some scriptures, you know, Matthew 11, verse 28, 29, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden. Most of us know these sort of scriptures. So I sent her this long email. I prayed over every word as I was writing this email, and um so I sent it to her with some scriptures, and I encouraged her to draw near to the Lord. I said, you know, God can heal you from a distance, but when it comes to the fear that accompanies physical long-term sickness, that's something he does in relationship. And so I encouraged her to reconnect with the Lord. She responded pleasantly about three days later. said, thank you for the email, and thank you for praying for me. Well, about a week later, she sent me another email, and she said, I'm listening to my Catholic services online again. <laughs> and I thought, oh, this is good. This is good. And she goes, and I'm feeling better. So then two weeks ago, I'm working up the street from her house, and she walks up behind me, startles me. I turn around. She is smiling from ear to ear. She is glowing. Wow. And this lady is very formal. And um, she goes, I just wanted to tell you I am 100% well. I met with my doctor the last time yesterday, and he told me I don't have to go back and see him anymore. She goes, I feel wonderful, I can do my walking, and, and it's kind of an aside, she stops and she goes, and I'm drawing near to God again, and I'm turning my life over to him. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and as I thought about that this morning, I thought, you know, that bid I was doing across the street from her house at the end of April, I was not there to bid that job. That's right. I thought I was there to bid a job. I was, the Lord had positioned me there. To run into her. Yes. And we all live these lives of secret agents. We're yes. all God's secret agents. We're That's all ambassadors. Right. And we never know when a casual situation was totally ordained by the Lord. And if you start to, you know, now I'm just like, I'm looking around every corner thinking, is this something? Is this yeah, something? yeah, yeah. And it, it's amazing how the Lord will use us when we, when we just live life like And it's exciting. So, anyways. That's what I'm talking about. Isn't that amazing? Hey, question for you. What do you suppose would have happened if he hadn't crossed the chicken line? I'm guessing nothing would have happened. Maybe she would have died. But God said, um, Kent, we're going to disguise you as a painter. <laughs> but you're really a secret agent. And he's got all these secret weapons, little gadgets, called the message of the gospel of the kingdom. And gifts of the Holy Spirit, and love, and compassion, and prayer, and a community of faith. Do you see how it all worked together? There was a community of faith praying. 
And but I, I forgot the details of that story that she got well and then she got sick again. I'm, we're, we're telling stories of witness, right? We're telling stories of places where we tell what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've experienced, and what we've learned about Jesus. And all of you in this room have learned at least something. Some of you in here or watching online might not be followers of Jesus, and you already know some things about Jesus. You already know that people pray and Jesus heals. You just heard that one. You have something to tell. You are now a witness. We're all called to be witnesses. We're not called to have to convince people. We're not called to certainly judge people who don't respond to our witness. It's a matter of simply telling what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've experienced, and what we've learned. Did that rhyme? I didn't mean to. It felt like I was rapping for a second there. What we've seen, what we've heard, what we've experienced, what we've learned. Oh, look at Marty. She's all... Wow. Thank you, Lord, for this lady who's being redeemed. I'm like totally going off my plan. Um, you know... Many of you know the story because we've been, you know, most of us are in community several, four years ago when my dad died and then, then God brought him back from the dead. So the nurse that was seeing him, that was there when he had the heart attack, he was in the hospital when it happened, when he died and they couldn't resuscitate him, she was one of the people that came to tell the family, we're sorry he didn't make it. When she got the call the next day, he's back, she had to hightail it to the room to see him and talk with our family. And she said, God's trying to get my attention because we haven't been talking. And she had a past issue some a few years back where a tragedy happened. She got mad at God for allowing this tragedy to happen and said, we're not talking anymore. It was one of those experiences where God breaks in with a powerful miracle. He doesn't have to do that. Sometimes he does. And those opportunities, that's going to be in the story we'll read today. When there's a miracle, there's an opportunity to be a witness, to tell people what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've learned, what you've experienced about Jesus. And that, that, <laughs> that woman we ran into a few years later, and she's still thinking about the um, situation and her kind of difficult relationship with God because she's still trying to struggle through her anger. And it reminds me of that lady. She gets healed. She doesn't do anything. Then she gets sick again, comes back. Could you pray again? And this time she goes, oh, now I'm in relationship with the Lord. Wow. What a great story. Oh, I think I have time. I want to do something as I prepare to read um, from Acts going to tell you this we, we were together last week and i read to you from acts chapter three so we're telling a story from acts chapter three and acts chapter four but before i tell you that story i want to sort of set um, the place settings here's my thinking we just had a party for my kids they did a lot of the work actually we had tons of food and before we served the food we did a lot of work to set up tables and to bring out plates and utensils and cups for the beverage to hold the food that was coming. I'm going to be reading a story and teaching. It's like spiritual food. 
but there's a, a setting for the experience of what we're going to read. And I want to set the table for you with something else. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, we're in class right now. We're <laughs> I feel like I'm training an army, and I'm in the army, so I'm hearing myself, but I'm also training us. I'm going to tell you something I've, I've told you once or twice, but it's good to remember, and it might be helpful for some of you if you're new. I want to tell you the whole story of the Bible in four chapters. I think I can do it in less than two minutes per chapter. Wow. You ready? And this is also the whole story of all of human history. And the stories we read about witness fit into the big story. So this might help. The Bible in four chapters. This comes, by the way, not from my thinking, because I'm not that smart. The first time I read this, learned, was from a book that I would recommend, as I'm saying it, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee and Don Stewart. They are the first people that I've heard do this. I've heard it before. Chapter 1 is creation. Chapter 2 is the fall. Chapter 3 is redemption. Chapter 4 is new creation. That's the whole Bible. Chapter 1, God creates the heavens and the earth in a perfect world. He plants two people in a garden and makes them to be his vice regents, representing him to bring uh, peace and rulership over the whole planet. And he says, you've got to have lots of children to fill the planet. There is peace, complete provision, no war, no oppression, no sickness, no disease, nothing is wrong. That's chapter 1, creation. Chapter 2 is called the fall. It's where the world falls into chaos. In chapter 2, because God has created a perfect world where love is the highest ethic, something has to be in place, and that is the ability to choose to love or to choose not to love. Without choice and freedom, love is not real. You have to be able to choose. With that kind of sovereignty in mind, God allows a tempter into the world, Satan, the snake. He has told Adam and Eve, the people, there's only one rule I have for you. There's a tree in the center of this garden. Don't eat its fruit. If you do, it'll kill you. Love me, trust me, and obey me about the tree. The tempter comes and says, oh, don't believe God. He's holding back on you. Actually, if you eat that fruit, look at it. Can you smell it? Look how shiny it is. It's going to taste even better. And if you eat it, it'll make you like God. Don't trust God. Trust me, wink, wink. And the people unbelievably do what you and I would do. They listen to the deceiver. They break the rule. And God's word becomes true. Death enters the world. By the next generation, one of their sons murders his brother. And the world that you live in, with all its chaos, is the result of them and all the people since then having this issue with the fall into sin. There's now war. There's now oppression. The powerful taking advantage over the weak. Sometimes the rich taking advantage over the poor. Selfishness, jealousy, adultery, divorce, abuse, war. All the stuff you see started there, fills the earth. But chapter 3 began. Chapter 3 is redemption. You were listening. In chapter 3, and the whole Bible story fits in this this system. Chapter 3 be, begin in prophetic words. As soon as the fall happened, God told the people, one day, one of your offspring is going to crush the head of the deceiver. And he eventually chose a man named Abraham out of the chaos. Abraham was a pagan. But God said, follow me, and I'm going to bless you. And through you, one day, all the nations of the entire planet 
you will be blessed. Follow me. Through him was born a nation called Israel. Long story, but God is working his plan of redemption slowly through the whole world. Israel is taught the ways of God. They're given a whole system of righteous laws for how to treat each other. Most laws today, at least in Western culture, are based on what the Israelites learned from God. The Ten Commandments as a foundation of that. So God has this nation, and in this nation, he puts in place something called a sacrificial system to give them a picture of what will come, whereby an animal sacrifice takes the place of them in punishment for their sins. And they go through a ceremony, and they offer an animal, and there's an understanding the blood of the animal is bringing atonement for your sins, but one day it's going to be fulfilled, and all this sacrifice is going to end. So Jesus comes, and we know the story is getting closer to us as the redemption chapter is moving throughout the world. Jesus comes and says, I am the ultimate Lamb of God. I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to rise from the dead, and I'm going to take away all the sins of the world, and the final redemption will come. So chapter 3 is actually completed but still in process when Jesus goes to the cross and defeats sin and defeats the serpent, Satan. His end is assured because Jesus has destroyed his whole plan of um, usurping and destroying this planet. You know, he was called the prince of the power of the air, but Jesus comes. So that's chapter 3, redemption. Chapter 4 is new creation. In the very end of days, Jesus said, I'm going to come a second time and I'm going to make all things new. There will no longer be sin, no longer be sorrow, no longer be sickness, no longer be disease, no longer mourning. There's going to be such peace that a lion and a lamb will lie down together. The oppressor will not eat the oppressed in that situation. And in making all things new, I'm going to give you a beginning. I'm going to be made new. After I'm killed and my body is dead in the grave three days, I will rise from the dead as the first fruits of the resurrection that is to come. Therefore, you and I right now live in an overlap of two chapters. Redemption is going. New creation has begun. Have you ever heard the words that Ernie said this morning? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. New creation has begun, but it's not completely fulfilled. We live in the presence of what is yet to come. There's still sin, but my sins are forgiven in Jesus. I'm tasting of what is to come. There's still sickness, but very often healing comes and obliterates sickness. We're tasting of the kingdom to come. We're in this overlapping period. You are an agent, like Kent. If you belong to Jesus, you're an agent of redemption. You're an agent of new creation. And being a witness is all about that. So with that overview of world history in the Bible, chapter 1 is? Chapter 2? Chapter 3? Chapter 4? Thank you. When you read the Bible, you can see that all. That's an arc of the entire story of the Bible. It'll make more sense next time you try to read the Bible. So with that, we get to our story of witness. You ready? Do you remember anything from last week? That's okay, because I'm going to tell you quickly in my words. But as I get there, I'm going to first show you something that Jesus said at the beginning of the disciples' work. I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 10. And here's the context of what I'm going to read. 
Jesus has been going from town to town working miracles. He's healing people. He's lifting people up. And as he goes, he comes to a place where he says to his disciples, he's healing the sick, opening blind eyes, opening deaf ears, ministering to the poor. He says to his disciples, look, these people are like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed and helpless. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into his harvest. In fact, come here, chapter 10, verse 1. Come here, I'm giving you authority and power over sickness, disease, and demons. And you go out and bring this message that you've seen me doing. And you go and heal the sick. And you're going to go to different towns. And he sends them to all sorts of different towns. In the context of that talk, he says these words. Be on your guard, verse 17 of chapter 10 of Matthew. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, oh, what, what Jesus, what do you mean when they arrest us? You just gave us power over sickness and disease. People are going to love us. What do you mean arrest us? You're get, Lord, the crowds are applauding you. You're getting really popular. This is awesome. We should make you king right now. What do you mean arrest us? He gives them this hint in the middle of his sending them. When they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, they'll be given to you what to say. He has not yet taught them about the Holy Spirit, but listen to these words. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So have that in the background of your mind as we get to Acts chapter 3. So here's a story, and I want to show a picture of the temple mount in Jerusalem. Um, and I think it's there. Yes. So there's a lot of small words that you can't read. Don't try to read them unless you have, like, you know, supervision. <laughs> If you want this picture, I'll send it to you. All you got to do is ask. If you don't ask, you won't receive. If you ask, I'll send it to you. The Temple Mount is 1.5 million square feet. It's a big area. It's one-sixth the size of Jerusalem. That is where the story that we're going to tell takes place. You can see how there's stairs and little gates, so it's, it's lifted up. There's a, the temple part is in the center. There's all these courts around, and if we could see it up close, we'd see Corinthian columns and patios and porches. It's a very large area, and you're going to hear about thousands of people, so you need to know this is a large area. And as our story goes from last week, chapter 3, Peter and John are going to this temple at the time of prayer. It's 3 in the afternoon, and they get to one of these gates, and I don't know where it is. It's marked on there, but I can't see it either. It's a gate that's called the Beautiful Gate. The historian Josephus has written about it. I told you about it before. I'll tell you about it again so you can picture this. This gate is 70 feet tall. This ceiling is about 27 feet tall. So this gate is double, more than double, the height of this ceiling. The door is about 60 feet tall. It's made out of Corinthian bronze. It's plated in silver, and it's plated in gold. It's ornate. Peter and John are going through that gate to go into the temple area for prayer. As they get there, they see a man being carried by some people. The man is a cripple who's been crippled since his birth. He's never walked. They probably recognize him because every day these people carry him to the gate, set him down, and he begs there all day asking alms for the poor, alms for the poor. The man's looking at them as they're carrying them. I told you last week that I'm pretty sure, just knowing people and language, that they remembered something. And here's why. 
Luke is writing this story, and he uses the same language that he used when he wrote the first part of his story. Remember, he's got Luke and Acts. Luke wrote both of those, volume one, volume two, the stories of Jesus and his followers. In this, in this earlier stories, he tells a story about some people carrying a lame man to Jesus. Jesus sees them, sees their faith, and raises the man up, heals him, and the man walks. And the text of Luke says, the presence of the power of God was present to heal. And so Jesus said, this is a great story. You can look it up later if you want. So I'm thinking, Peter has seen Jesus do this. John's seen Jesus do this. Luke's using the same language. They see this man being carried. And in this moment, it's very clear that the presence of God is there to heal the sick because of what happens. Peter looks at the man and says, look at us. Probably motioning to this giant gate with silver and gold says, silver and gold, we don't have any of that. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he grabs the guy by the hand. Apparently no healing yet. But the text says very specifically, Luke's a doctor, by the way, and he writes like, you know how people are very specific. They just tell all the details. Luke's like that. He says that Peter grabs the guy's hand, and as Peter grabs the hand to lift him up, suddenly his ankles become strong, and he's able to stand up, and he stands on his feet. And he's as shocked as you and I are. Peter's probably a little surprised too. I don't know. But the man's standing there. He tests his feet out. He can stand, he can start to walk, and he starts walking. He goes up those stairs through the gate, and now he's jumping around, he's leaping, he's shouting, praise God, I can walk. And a crowd is coming, you can see how big the area is, so thousands of people come running. And Peter, like Kent, sees the people responding to the miracle and remembers, I'm a witness and he stops and talks to the people. And he says, why are you surprised? Why are you surprised this man is healed? Well, what we know is that these same people have seen Jesus healing tons of people. They've probably seen Peter with Jesus. They know about the crucifixion. Then it happened right in their city. They know about the resurrection, or they've heard rumors at least. They don't know if they believe it yet. They've seen him heal blind eyes. They've seen him. They've, they know all about healing. And Peter goes, why are you surprised that the followers of Jesus would also have this kind of thing happening? Let it be known to you that by faith in the name of Jesus and the faith that comes through him, this man stands before you completely healed. And he tells him, you guys, Jesus was clearly shown to be the son of God by all the miracles that God did. And by his message, and you rejected him, and you joined with the leaders of Israel and had him crucified. But God raised him from the dead. Therefore, you ought to change your thinking. And that gets us to where we are right now. Verse 17 of chapter 3 of Acts. How you guys doing? Okay. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets saying that his Messiah, that his Christ, would suffer. Repent then. What does repent mean? Turn. Go the other way. Don't go this way. Go this way. Repent from the way you've been going and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. What happens when you repent? Your sins are wiped out. Repent and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out. And that, he's going to say some more interesting insights. 
related to redemption and new creation. Repent that your sins may be wiped out, redemption, and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That's the starts of new creation. And that he may send the Christ who is appointed for you, even Jesus. This is a really interesting thing that Peter says. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, the new creation chapter. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses has said, the Lord your God will raise up from you a prophet for you, a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be cut off from the people of God. Indeed, all the prophets, all the way back from Samuel, on as many have spoken, have foretold these days, and you are the heirs of the prophets and the covenant. Listen, people, you, he's talking to Jewish people. You are heirs of God's promises, the promise that he sent a Messiah, the promise of redemption, the promise through Abraham that all the people will be blessed. I should read it. Through, you are heirs of the prophets of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all the world will be blessed, all the nations, all the peoples. When God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning you from your wicked ways. Peter is just going now with this, with this preaching, this witness to who Jesus is. While he's speaking, the police show up. The priests and the temple of the guard, that's the temple police. And the Sadducees, that's the ruling religious leaders, came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So you're pitching, this is happening. Peter's talking. I don't know if he sees them coming behind him. The people probably see him, but they come behind him. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in the spiritual realm. They're like very secular religious people today who don't believe in any of the miracles. There are, if you didn't know that, there are people who actually use the name Christian, but they don't believe that anything about the miracles in the Bible is actually true. They think, ah, someone else out of that is really not true. Jesus was a good guy, but he certainly wasn't God. He was just kind of confused about his mission because they killed him, you know. And they, they, the whole church is like that, by the way. So these Sadducees are like that. So they're mad. They seize Peter and John. They arrest them. And because it was evening... They put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed the message of witness. And the number of men grew to be about 5,000. That means there's already 3,000. We've added 2,000 more from this event. That's good news for the witness. But I should just sort of preview what's about to happen. He's going to be a witness to the Sadducees, the priests, the scribes, the all those folks. And apparently when he's a witness to them the next morning, there's a zero response. And, and you'll see, I think he actually does a better job of preaching in front of them and gets no response because apparently none of them become followers of Jesus. That tells me that my job is to be a witness. The Holy Spirit's job is to convince people. The weight's not on me. The weight's on him. 
I don't even need to get frustrated. I just lovingly tell the message. The next day, the rulers and elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. This is quite a crowd. And they're intimidating. And by the way, these are the people who recently, like a little over a month ago, decided that Jesus ought to be executed on a Roman cross. Peter, when that happened, lied to a little servant girl and said, I never knew Jesus. I'm not with them. Remember that story? Peter was very fearful a month ago. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's bold now. Annas, the high priest, was there. He was there with Jesus' decision to crucify him. Caiaphas, John, Alexander, other men from the high priest family, they had Peter and John brought before them. Can you picture? They're like the elevated guys, probably in their robes, looking mighty and authoritative. This is a moment of intimidation. By what power, by what name have you done this? Healing is my man. Verse 8 of chapter 3. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Hear that. Peter had been filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, two chapters ago. He's freshly filled. You and I can have repeated refreshments of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see it happen more than once in this very chapter. He gets filled again with the Spirit. What did I read to you? Jesus said, by the way, when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say. Yeah. And they were like, arrest? What are you talking about? Well, here it's happened. Don't worry about what to say when you get arrested because I will give you the words. In fact, it won't even be you speaking. It will be the Spirit of my Father speaking through you. Foreshadowing, they would say in literature. <laughs> Rulers, Peter, Peter filled the Holy Spirit says, <laughs> watch the chutzpah of this guy. The, the boldness, the confidence. He's on trial, but he quickly puts them on trial. Rulers and elders of the people. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple. I love those words. Like, what the heck? We showed kindness to a cripple and you arrest us? Okay. If we're being called to account for that, as to how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel. We're talking about witness. We're talking about watching stories of the first followers of Jesus to learn principles of witness that can apply to our lives. You need to know this, you and everyone in Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone that the builders rejected, who's become the capstone quoting the psalm, Psalm 118, which is a psalm about the Messiah and how he would be rejected by the leaders, but God would make him the capstone of the building. And listen to this word right here. Salvation, he's looking at the elders, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the, basically the Supreme Court, who can have him killed if they just say the word. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Strong words. Now, I know that Oprah doesn't agree with this because I watched the video where someone said to her, salvation is found in no one else but Jesus. And she said, well, that can't be. How could God be so exclusive and bigoted? There's got to be other ways. There must be other ways. Clearly, <laughs> how silly. That's the problem with you Christians. You're so bigoted. 
What do you mean there's no other way? Have you had that conversation with people? That's the, you're too exclusive. What I say when people say that is, have you found another way? Tell me all about it. Because the people that say there must be another way never have another way. I, did someone else die for our sins and rise from the dead? Who was that? Maybe I should follow him. Who was that? Did, any, did anyone claim to be able to wipe away your sins? Oh. Okay. Well, there must be another way. Where, has anyone found it? No? Well, why are you rejecting Jesus then? Apparently, you who say there must be another way think that Jesus is a way, but you don't want to follow him because there must be another way, so you won't follow him. That sounds kind of foolish. If you haven't found the other way, then you're still lost in your sin. So why don't you, since you know that Jesus is a way, why don't you put your faith in him with what you got and see what happens? And I bet as you put your faith in him, he's going to put more faith in you. And as you discover him and learn from him and experience the life that he will give if you put your faith in him, you'll discover that he is the way of salvation. No one else has died for my sins. No one else has been raised from the dead. No one else heals blind eyes. No one else raises the dead. No one else restores relationship. Come on, have you experienced the presence of God in your life? Like, why are you looking still? You found it. So go for it. You're ready to pray right now. Give Jesus your life. What are you thinking there must be another way? Have you, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, honestly, I say I, I think I found the way, but I'm an open-minded person. If you found another way, don't hold out. No one's ever told me another way. If you're here and you're listening to me online in this presence and you've been holding out on Jesus because you think there must be another way and I don't like the exclusivity of Christianity, well, set that on the table for now and go, okay, maybe there's another way, but I, I, don't know, I haven't found it. Give your life to Jesus today and you'll find he is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, Oprah is a nice person and she gives away lots of stuff. But <laughs> Peter walked with Jesus. Peter saw Jesus transfigured and become bright like the sun before his very eyes and heard heaven say, this is my son. Listen to him. Peter saw Jesus killed, saw him rise from the dead. I'm going to go with Peter over Oprah this time. I think that would be good. No. No discounting Oprah. She's a nice lady. She's done, she's done some good stuff. But I think she's mistaken about Jesus. So follow Jesus. So exclusive, you Christians. Well, maybe. Okay, here's a principle for witness, though. People who are witnesses are those who follow Jesus They've been filled with his spirit. If you follow Jesus, you have his spirit in you. The Holy Spirit will lead you to opportunities to be a witness for Jesus. Kent's story, Exhibit A. As he leads you before people, he will also give you the words to say. It won't be you speaking, but the spirit of God speaking through you. This is a principle. Second principle. Witnesses of Jesus tell people, Jesus is the way of salvation. He's the only one given from God to mankind. 
by which we must be saved. If you put your faith in him, as we just read, he will wipe away your sins. Remember, witnesses tell others what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced, and what they've learned. You guys are all responsible right now for what I've just told you because you just learned it. You're all witnesses. You're all witnesses. And you can tell people. Peter, the friend of Jesus, who saw him killed and saw him rise, who walked close with him, said these words. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name given among mankind by which we must be saved. Put your trust in him. Verse 13. When they saw, who's they? Sadducees, Pharisees, Caiaphas. So this ruling crowd. I'm just trying to get us in the picture here. We want to make sure we understand what's going on. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized, suddenly they went, bing. Wait a second. These guys are fishermen who don't even know how to read. Because they didn't, they, you know, people didn't know how to, do you know that in this culture? Like, how many of you know how to program in JavaScript? No. That's what it was like for this culture. How many of you know how to read and write? They would go, uh, I, I know a guy that went to college, and he can do it. It's like you and computer programming. Most of you can't do it. Some people can. In this time, most people weren't educated. So these guys are all educated. They're doctors. They've got their doctorate. They've been to college. They've studied the scriptures. They know the law of Moses. They've memorized most of the Old Testament, our Old Testament, their scriptures. They are schooled. All they do is talk about the Bible. They're so smart. When these guys went, bing, these are fishermen, they were astonished. And they took note. These guys have been with Jesus. Hmm. Being with Jesus changes things. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing with him. Oh, I didn't know. He was standing. He was standing there the whole time. He's like, you know, his thumbs. my feet are working. I can jump. I didn't do this my whole life. I've been healed. They see him standing there with them. There was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and said, we, we got to confer together. What are we going to do? What are we going to do with these men after they take them home? They say to each other, everybody living in Jerusalem knows they've done an, an outstanding miracle. We can't even deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, why would we stop this thing? Like crippled people are walking? Why do they want to stop this? Because they have hard hearts. They've, I told you, they hear the message of Peter, and he, that was a good message. Did he do some good preaching there? Boldly, confidently, filled with the Spirit, he proclaims the gospel to them simply. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them not to speak any longer in his name. And I think I'm going to stop reading there, but I just want to note, like, wow, what I said before I'll say again, you might be an effective witness, but your effectiveness is not necessarily measured in the results of the response. Peter did a darn good job, and none of them were moved. Isn't that remarkable? That's shocking. They study the Bible and reject the Messiah that the Bible describes. 
They've got a man standing before them, healed miraculously, and they know it. And they know that it was done in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah. And it doesn't move their hearts. They're stubborn. It is our job to tell people what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've experienced, and what we've learned. The Holy Spirit's also a witness, and it's his job to take care of the rest. So don't you worry. Don't you fret. God will take care of it. And later on, if we keep reading through Acts, we'll see that a number of these people actually become followers of Jesus. They're just really slow off the start. <laughs> Takes them a while. We are called to be witnesses. We have the Spirit of God in us. If you follow Jesus, you have the Spirit in you to lead us where we go, to give us the words. One thing I didn't say that's related to this, the Bible teaches you be filled with the Spirit. In fact, Ephesians 5, 18, you be filled and be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's a role that we have we were singing lots of songs. Come, Holy Spirit, fall afresh on me, fill me. That's part of the process. Ask and you'll receive. Part of the process, we read from Peter, he said, repent, believe, and you'll receive the gift of the Spirit. That was in Acts chapter 2. Any place where I am living as though God really isn't on the throne of my life, but I am, it's going to be hard to be filled with the Spirit. It's going to be hard to have the Spirit of God lead me when I say, no, 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 I don't want to obey you because I like the fruit on that tree in the middle of the garden. And in this case, I've decided I'm going to eat that fruit. Whatever that is for you. Whatever God has said, don't do that, and you go, ah, that part, Lord, come on. Everything? No, this part I want for me. It's not going to work out well. I recommend, as God shows you places where he said no, you go, well, I'm not going to desire what you disallow. And if I desire it, I'm going to use my will to say no to it anyway. I'm going to repent and follow you because you're worth it all. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of my every breath. You're worthy of my energy. You're worthy of how I spend my time. You are worthy of what I look at and what I don't look at. You are worthy to decide what I do with my body and what I don't. You are worthy. You are God. I give it all to you. I repent of being my own Lord. I turn to you and say, you are Lord of my life. Please fill me with your spirit. I want to be your witness. Be filled with the spirit. As you are, he'll lead you. Fill your mouth, and you'll be a witness. And then he'll come along as a witness. And some, like that lady in the tenth story, will respond. Some, like the Pharisees, will say no. <laughs> we are agents of redemption and agents of new creation in the story of the world. In the story of the Bible, we are in chapters 3 and 4 right now. Redemption 
new creation. In the resurrection, new creation has begun and will be consummated at Jesus' return right now as we live between the times of his coming and his second coming. We have an assignment. It is to be filled with his spirit, to be witnesses for Jesus, and to live our lives that he's called us to live as secret agents, painting houses well, teaching classes well, nursing well, being full of integrity, being full of love, and being a witness wherever we are, wherever he leads us. Because he must remain in heaven. Acts chapter 3. Until the time comes for God to fulfill everything and restore everything that had been spoken by the prophets. Therefore, Peter said, repent so that he'll come back. Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world. You're my witnesses. And then the end will come. That's the only clue I have as to the timing of the Lord's return. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout all nations. And then the end will come. When that has happened, as far as I understand, the end will come. Jesus will return. This present order will be obliterated. And a new order will come. Peter, who said all these things, writes in his letter, at that time, like fire, the earth will be completely wiped out. And, according to the promise, Jesus himself will make it all new. Somehow, that's going to work out. It sounds terrifying to be a rejecter of Jesus at that time. That does not sound like a good place to be. It sounds wonderful to be a follower of Jesus at that time. I can't wait for that day. And I hope everyone that I ever meet comes with me. I hope that everywhere people are meeting Jesus because of our witness, learning the incredible beauty of his person and becoming worshipers of him, loving him with their whole lives and being loved back and living in the presence of his kingdom. It's so wonderful. It's so wonderful. Let's stand together. Worship band, you get ready to come up. Listen, we need to respond now to the Lord. If you're in my hearing and you've never turned away from following your way and turned to following God's way, that's called repentance. Today's your day. You've heard the story. We've been a witness for you. Give your life to Jesus now. Turn to him, perhaps, and say something like this. Jesus, I want to follow you. I want you to now be my Lord. I want you to be the boss. I want you to take my life and make it new. I believe that you died for my sins and rose from the grave. I trust that you are wiping all my sins away right now. And I'm clean before you. Thank you. Fill me with your spirit that I too might be an agent of redemption and an agent of new creation. Lord, I pray, let your kingdom be upon us. Rule and reign over us. Lord, even as we're gathered in the presence of your spirit, we pray for miracles of healing in this room. 
as we pray for each other now, heal broken hearts, heal broken bodies. Kingdom come on people. Some of you have noticed some people are kind of walking to the front. There's people standing up here. That's because they're ready to pray over us. If you have any situation where you need to connect with God, any situation, spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially, relationally, anything, God is the answer. And he often brings his answer through praying of his people. Come and let these people bless you. If you have an illness, they'll ask if they can put their hand on you. Jesus said, lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. We've seen that happen many times. If you're sick and we pray for you and you don't get better, then we're going to love you and cry with you and care for you. And you're going to feel loved. And we'll pray some more and maybe you'll get better. We've seen both and it's a mystery to us. But we know this, we're called to be witnesses and we're called pray for hurting people. So that's what we're going to do. Fair? Let's do it. I'm going to say a blessing over you. I'm going to stop talking. The worship band will lead us in some more worship. You can stay as long as you want. Come and get prayer. May the Lord himself bless you. May the Lord We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.